Hello, everyone, and thank you for coming back to another great episode of Papa's Tackle Box. We thank you so much for continuing to listen and continuing to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and even just following us on our website and seeing what we're up to here at Legacy Church. We hope that each and every one of you are having a fantastic day and that the Lord is blessing you in unconceivable ways. Uh, But with that said, without any further ado, you are listening to Papa's Tackle Box, and here's Papa. Hey, thanks for joining me again for another episode here on Papa's Tackle Box. Uh, And uh, so today I want to pull out of my tackle box. uh, Let's talk about God today. Let's talk about the nature of God. Uh, Here at our church at Legacy, we talk about real people experiencing a real God. So let's talk about this real God today. When we talk about the nature of something, we mean what is intrinsic to its being. Other words, that word is qualities of something. When you talk about the nature of God, uh, you're speaking of uh, the characteristics intrinsic to his being. What does he just do naturally? To some, God might be a tyrant. He might be a joke. He might be a grandfather, just gentle to be around. Or he may just be a bigger version of man. If we're going to have an intimate walk with God, I think we have to understand what makes him tick. And I want to look at five areas in the scripture that will help us grasp the greatness of our God. So the first thing that I want us to look at that will help us grasp the greatness of God is God is a transcendent being. Let me read a text to you, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18 through 22, and then 25 and 26. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol, something that a smelter cast? And a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for? A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Isn't that incredible? God is what that passage is telling us is that God is distinct from his creation. He is unique. He's one of a kind. Nothing else in the universe is like him. So when we talk about that, he's distinct, first of all, in his thoughts. Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've heard people say, well, I don't believe God will do that. Now, how do you know? 
You've got to think God's thoughts in order to, uh, because he is so distinct. And secondly, he is distinct in his person. Psalms 50 verse 21 said, Who will you liken me to? Who is like me? Uh, what he is saying there is God is totally unlike man. He is nothing like us. He is unlike us. And then thirdly, he is distinct in his deity. Psalm 70, 97 verse 9 said, God is exalted far above all gods. So in other words, he cannot be compared to anything. God says, because I'm unique, you're to make no likeness of me. Anything you come up will make him look bad because we can't come up with something that's going to be unique to him. God does not want his glory limited, localized, or leveraged. In other words, anything that doesn't fully reflect him is limiting him. And if it's localized, that means we're, we're putting him to a certain place or a certain time. And if it's leveraged, uh, it's something used to free you up to do things uh, that he didn't uh, prescribe. So when you reduce God to something you, you're comfortable with, it frees you up to do what you want to do. In Exodus chapter 32, the old story, all of us know they, they made a golden calf, but they made a bull out of a golden calf. And then it was a representation of God, something they could see and touch. And the Bible said they rose up to play. Other words, in this, this thing, they became immoral, and it was just a large, uh, just it was immoral. And so those are the three things about his, his character. The second area to help us grasp the greatness of God is God is a spirit being. John chapter 4, Jesus said as he was talking to the lady at the well, worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. So God is not the spirit. He is spirit. That is his essence of who he is. So when we look at that, number one, he's immaterial. He is non-material. He does not have a body according to the scripture. But the Bible, when God speaks to us, the Bible says that he uses man forms like the hand of the Lord is not too short. Uh, the eye of the Lord can see what's going on. He talks about his back, his face, and his ears. He gives us human description to help us relate. We have to worship him in his essence. So basically, Jesus was saying what you do with your body is a result of what you do with your spirit. So your inner, inner man and your body are one. So the second thing he says about a characteristic of this is that he is a person. Those who worship him. He has three attributes of personhood. He has emotions. That's what we call feelings. He has intellect. He has a mind. He thinks. He has a will or power to choose. He is an immaterial person. But Exodus 3.14, God's response to Moses was, I am who I am. And not only that, he's invisible. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, no man has seen God. 
God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. And, uh, and then, you know, we talk about, well, what does the wind look like? The wind is invisible. You can see the effects of the wind. You see what it does, not what it looks like. And so what we're saying here is that as uh, we see the effects of what God does, we just don't know what he looks like. The third area to help us grasp the greatness of God is God is an eternal being. Psalms 90 verse 1 and 2 said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or thou did give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, when we talk about him like that, he has no beginning. So when did God begin? He is everlasting, no starting point. Now, that's hard for us because we all live in a time zone, and we had a starting point, a birthday. But there's never been a time when God was not. God is forever. We are creatures of the past, present, and future. You and I live from today to tomorrow, next month, next year. God forever lives in the present tense. He said, I am. He's already been there and back. And so when, when, when God tells you something about the future, he already knows what the future looks like. But he is uh, the God that is forever. But he's also independent. God depends on nothing outside of himself to exist. He does not need us. Before there was anything, God was. That's hard for us to grasp, but before there was anything, God was. God needs nothing outside of himself to be complete. God created us so we could get in what he is enjoying himself. So we could enjoy him also and participate in his world. So the fourth area that Uh, will help us grasp the greatness of God is God is an immutable being. James 1 and 7 said, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God does not have the ability to change. God cannot, will not change. So he is a changeless Uh, He is changeless in his person. People change. Clothes change. Seasons change. Well, if you live in the north. Times change. Hair changes. Shoes change. But God does not change. He is changeless. He is changeless in his purpose. Incapable of change. It is impossible for God to lie. God's character does not change, neither does his love. God's plans do not change. He is the father of lights, as James said. He's not one of them. He made them. And he says there is no shifting shadow. We deal with shadows every day. The earth rotates around the sun, and so there is a night and a day, and there's dark, and there's light. God's nature is consistent. 
It will not be light today and dark tomorrow. You may have a good day today and not that. God does not change. He does not change. And uh, that is good. A good thing for us. He does not change. He is changeless in his character. But God changes his mind, uh, destroying Israel over the golden calf. But Moses pleaded with God not to do it. So God changed his mind. He changed his mind about Nineveh going to destroy the city. They repented. If God doesn't change, how can he change his mind? His character does not ever change, but his methods may change. If a change on man's part affects another part of God's character, he is free now to relate to that person from that uh, part of his character. And out of this, that part of his character, Nineveh repented of their sin. It appealed to God's grace, not wrath. God changed uh, to another part of who he is. He does not change in his essence. He changes his methods on our willingness to adjust. He reacts to our adjustments. He does not adjust to us. He reacts to our adjustments to him. The rainbow was proof that he does not change. This was a promise to Noah. And even today, we can still see that God does not change. The fifth area that I want to look at to help us grasp the greatness of God is God is a triune being. Isaiah 45 and 5 said, Besides me, there is no God. Besides me, there is no God. One God in three persons. One God made up of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is not like us. Got to remember that. And so I remember one of the illustrations we were given in school was water. You know, water can be liquid, it can be ice, or it can be steam. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. But you, you really can't explain the Trinity. I, I don't think that we can use uh, we can use the egg. All of these kinds of things are the pretzel, but it's hard to explain the Trinity. The, trian- the Trinity was in creation. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. And that word God in the Hebrew is Elohim. It's plural. And then it uses he. Uh, he's plural even as he is singular. God says, let us, let us make man in our image. So God made man or created man in his image. Back and forth, plural to single. One God, three persons. The Trinity throughout Scripture, Jesus said, The Lord God has sent me and His Spirit, God the Father with the Son and the Holy Spirit. All three are equal in essence, distinct from each other in personhood. All three act in unity. That's why it's one God in three persons, equal in essence, uh, distinct in function. I had a professor tell us that probably the easiest way to explain it is the Bible said that when a woman and man get married, they become one. And and then 
as they become one, the Bible said, and then then there's children who bear the same essence as mom and dad. God created us in his likeness, and the first thing he did was he made a family. So I want to say that uh, Paul writes to Timothy, now the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. So what's going on in your life today? If you get to know this God, it won't stop the storms of life from hitting you. But with this God, your boat's going to stay afloat. The Bible said... Be still and know that I am God, Psalms 46 and 10. Knowing God requires time alone with him. Being still is the word meditation. So what does that word meditation mean? Reflecting on who God is, what he has said, and what he has done. I can't fully explain what it means to know God. But I think you could do it this way. It's like defining a kiss. Webster says a kiss is a caress with the lips, gentle touch or contact. Now, here's the best way I know how to say this. Anyone who has kissed someone knows that a kiss is really much more than that. You can't explain it. It's good when you get it. I can't explain what getting to know God will feel like, but I know what you will, I know that you will like it when it happens. So your beginning point in knowing God is entering a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very simple in in a relationship. You admit that you're a sinner. You acknowledge that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross and you put your faith in him. And then you receive him as your Savior. That's how simple it is. And becoming to know who this God is, that's kind of hard to explain, but we have Scripture that tells us characteristics of who he is, and that's how we get to know who God is. So, saying that, it's time for me to reel it in. So until next time, keep fishing, keep digging in the tackle box because there's a lot in there for you to use. Keep fishing. And until next time, God bless you. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to Papa's Tackle Box. Make sure that you stay up to date with everything we're doing by following our Facebook page at Legacy Community Church. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchFL. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Legacy Community Church. You can also keep up to date with everything we're doing at our website, LegacyCC.org. And if this podcast has blessed you in any way, you can also give through our website under the Give Now tab. Thanks for listening.